0: we began a new series last week began a new series last week called pray like this it's taken from matthew's gospel the 6th chapter so you might want to go ahead and turn there matthew's gospel the 6th chapter let's begin reading in verse 5 beware or excuse me and when you pray For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you have need of before you ask Him. Pray then like this. That's the reason for the title of the series. Pray then like this or pray like this. At the beginning of what's called the Lord's Prayer, Jesus starts it, starts His instruction by saying, Pray like Like this. Last week we learned that there are ways that are effective and ways that are not effective to pray. Pray like this. Then he begins what we commonly call or refer to as the Lord's Prayer. It actually isn't the Lord's Prayer, it's a template about praying, but it's not the Lord's Prayer. That's in John chapter 17. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And of course, if you're reading from the King James translation, or other common uh, translations, You will find an addendum there or an addition to that Lord's Prayer. Perhaps you've always learned it that way. Uh, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, say it with me. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Jesus... Clearly was giving his disciples a model for prayer rather than a liturgy to keep on repeating. What's important about this prayer or this template is that we take the ideas regarding the content and incorporate it into our prayer life. Luke's account of this prayer says this, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And then essentially these same words are listed. Number one, notice that he did not ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. They asked him, they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. The difference would be this Lord, you've been, we've been watching you. We've been watching your relationship with God. You call him Father. We'd like that. Teach us to pray. They weren't asking for steps. They were saying, we want that same relationship. There's a difference. Don't teach us how so that we get stuck in a rut And start thinking that if we pray this way, we'll twist God's arm and somehow we'll get God to give us something. No. Just teach us about this relationship we're observing that you have with the Father. And again, in Luke's account of this, there is no traditional liturgical ending there. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. That was added for the sake of liturgy, by a scribe. This template of prayer begins with this idea, our Father in heaven. Well, the first and most important thing about prayer is to realize that it's a relationship. How many of you feel like you have a good relationship with someone? Well, and the rest of you we're going to pray for after the service is over because you are clearly a lonely individual if you have not a single relationship. Now, now I, I didn't say how many of you have a dozen great relationships that are exciting and fulfilling and s- satiating and there's never any problem and they always lift you up and speak great things and you couldn't imagine doing life without them. I didn't say that. And that's because that's unrealistic. Nobody has that. Do you? (laughs) I mean, does anybody have a dozen friends with whom that's reality? (laughs) Jesus had an inner circle of three and a close set of disciples of 12. And beyond that, he did not entrust himself, the scripture says. And that was Jesus, by the way, who knows how to do relationships. So I'm not poo-pooing relationships and you having a bunch of them. I'm just saying, I just don't want us to think of a relationship with God as casual. You know, it's just like all those other relationships we have. Some go, some come. Some of them are good, some of them aren't. You know, uh, I don't want to get too involved with this individual because I know he's going to be down the road pretty soon. Uh, You know, we, we tend to filter the idea of relationships through, first of all, how we grew up and how we were parented, and secondly, then, the circumstances of the things that we've encountered in life since then, especially those things that we deeply care about, such as our career and our marriage and our children and uh, our church and those sorts of things. And, and so when somebody has experienced a, a, a lot of very unfortunate circumstances in a number of areas of life, then it tends to color all that they feel and think about relationships. And what I want to tell you this morning is your relationship with God is like nothing else. It's like no other relationship you have on this planet. There is no one, including your spouse if you're married, who can even approach the intimacy, the love, the depth the caring the joy the the satiation the the just the the grander the 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 something it's intended. I, I can't even describe it the glory of this relationship that you can have with the creator of the universe and jesus said here's how you approach that Here, here's how you keep that going here's how you Climb into that Here's, Here are the ideas that you need to bring into that Conversation Are you getting me this morning yeah. Prayer is about a Life Of conversation With the creator Of the universe And Jesus said I, I just want to be sure that, that you get it <laughs> I don't want you to be like the hypocrites We went over that last week Right and I don't want you to have this idea, this religious idea of God that He's distant. We're going to talk about that a bit more here this morning. I really want you to enjoy your relationship with God, and it begins with talking to Him. I think the big idea here is that prayer is a privilege, it's not an obligation at all. Now, how many of you could I just, I mean, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many of you have been around individuals that uh, it, it, it just sort of feels like an obligation, it's draining, it's difficult to be around those people? You know what I mean? When you leave their presence, you just feel like you need to go sit down and listen to some good music and, and, and uh, just, you know, watch a movie or something, uh, or, or you know, it, it just you're drained, you're just weak. But then there are other people that you, you th- actually think about getting with when you're not with them. And then after you've set a date, you anticipate. You, you, anti- you actually feel the feelings you're going to feel when you're with them because you're anticipating, wow, I'm really looking forward to being with that person because it, it's fun, it's satiating, and it's jo- I, we, we gel you know we, we, you know, we just have something. Do you know that's what God wants with you? That's something that can't really be described, but you look forward to it. You'd rather be with him than anybody. You look forward. And for that to happen, prayer is an essential part of it, and prayer cannot be obligatory. It can't be based on religion. It can't be based on do's and don'ts and how long should I and certain positions that you have to be in and certain words that you have to say. Prayer is a living conversation with the creator of the universe that brings me into that special place of his heart where I just say, wow, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in, on this planet than with you right now. Do you realize it's actually possible to have a relationship with God like that? You look forward to it. I look forward to spending time with him. No place I'd rather be. And when I'm there, oh, what what great joy it is. Do Do you have a relationship with God like that? When you pray, does it feel like that? Say, Pastor Jeff, does yours always feel like that? No. Mine didn't feel like that this morning. <laughs> and I'm a pastor, and I had a sermon to preach. You would think mine ought to feel like that on the morning I'm going to speak. <laughs> but you know what? That's where faith overcomes feelings, and you just believe. And tr- Let me ask you something. Those of you that are married, Do you remember when, during engagement and periods of infatuation and leading up to honeymoon and all of that, do you remember the intensity of the emotions? Do, do you remember the desire to be with? Do, do you remember how you couldn't, uh, I, I mean, when you were at work, you were thinking about them? When you were driving home, you were thinking about them? When you, do you remember that? You couldn't wait to see them? Right? You did silly things even. You you did stupid, silly things. You said silly things. Things just like came up out of you that weren't real because of this love, this infatuation, this something I've got to be with them. You remember that? I remember driving home from one of our dates. It's about one, one thirty in the morning. And no, I don't recommend this, but I was driving along the Boulder Turnpike and I was so tired that I woke up while driving down that highway and I could swear I saw two big gentlemen standing in the roadway right in front of my car and I was about to hit them and I slammed on the brakes as hard as I could and and the car spun to the side a little bit and it jerked. And boy, I was awake. And I looked and there was nobody there. You didn't tell them like tired, yeah, I was tired. I said I was coming home from a date. <laughs> from presumably with Nina. Every night was like that. <laughs> yes, most nights were like that, though. That's why I was so tired. Right. This was just one of many where I was coming home that night. And the things we do. The thing that we, I almost lost my life for a feeling. I almost lost my life for a relationship, for a love, for, we weren't even married yet. Now, your relationship with God can be so vivid, so strong, so filled with life and joy that you would do anything, say anything, to be with him and spend any amount of time. That's why I don't get people who don't come to church, aren't interested in church, aren't interested in fellowship, you know, once a month, once every couple of months. I don't get that because you, you say, well, being close to God and going to church are two separate things. I beg to differ. Jesus said, I will build my church. The writer of Hebrews says, do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together. I beg to differ because it's impossible to be close to God without being close to his body. Let me tell you what happened when I came to church in this funk, when I got here to church, and I did not feel close to God. I didn't, I didn't feel like my prayers were resounding and, and, and there was this super presence and all of that. When I started getting around some of you, there was a lift There was a certain something. God got communicated to me. His presence got communicated. I began to realize God was alive and God was real. And even though my feelings said one thing, my faith in his word and being around the body of Christ changed that. Then we started worshiping and singing. Now, I I I have songs. I have headphones. I have music I can put on at home and listen to. But it's not the same. It's not like coming here and being with you in the presence of the Father, worshiping the Father. There's something about that. And and the New Testament speaks to that very richly, that that's part of our relationship with the. How is your relationship this morning? Is it a relationship that begins not by something you do, but actually, by something he already has done. What do I mean? Second Corinthians chapter five, and we'll have it on the screen here. Paul said this: From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we were once, regard, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation let's say it together therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation read the rest the old has passed away behold the new has come now watch he says from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh he says from now on therefore from now on he's referring to something he's already said We don't know what it is yet. We haven't gone back to those verses. Then in verse 17, he sort of repeats it, the concept. He says, therefore, once again, and we've taught you, when you see a therefore in the scripture, find out why it's therefore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, I've always read that therefore, if, therefore, if, any man is in Christ, as a condition. But what if it's a conclusion based on the therefore of the previous verses? What if it's not a condition that puts us in Christ, but a conclusion that we are already there? I want to go back to my statement Relationship begins not with something I do But with something he already did Oh, I don't know if you're following me Let's go over 2 Corinthians Look at it for yourself Let's find out why he said therefore 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Let's look at it Starting in verse 14 so here's the therefore. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Let me reread that. I skipped just a couple of words here. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was was raised let me ask you something when it says that Jesus died for all who does that include are you sure does it include your neighbor What about the person who doesn't go to church? Does it include them? What about somebody whose lifestyle is not pleasing to God? They're not a Christ follower. They they hate church. In fact, their lifestyle is filled with all sorts of sinful things. Does it include them? Well, let's re-read it and he died for all that those who might live no uh, excuse me that those who live might no longer live for themselves verse 14 go back for the love of Christ controls us because watch this here's why the love of Christ should be controlling your every decision and the things that you say and do here's why We believe in the love of Christ. Here's why the love of Christ is so powerful, so life-changing, and Jesus built his church on the concept. Love one another. It's the greatest command, is it not? Here's why, Paul says. Excuse me, go back. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died. Jesus died already for everybody that will ever exist on this planet. And therefore, all have died. How did we all die? (laughs) We were co-included in his death. Co-included in his burial and co-included in his resurrection. And so he continues in verse 16. So from now on, we're not going to regard anybody according to the flesh. We're not going to look at people and pass judgments. We're not going to look at people's lifestyles and pass judgments and make determinations about who's in and who's out. Could I get an... We who are Christ followers, read our Bibles and go to church, should of all people walk in this love. What is this love? This love is made possible by the fact that he died. And he died for all. Therefore, all have died. And therefore, because he died for everybody already, and all people, people were co-included in that death, burial, and resurrection, therefore, from now on, we're not going to look at people's lives, their flesh, what their careers, their, their ins and outs, the lifestyle they've chosen, all of these. We're not going to look at that because those are judgments. He says, we used to regard Christ this way, according to the flesh, but we don't regard him that way any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Dear ones, that is not a condition. That's a conclusion of verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. I am in Christ. You are in Christ. And frankly, even that person who's not yet following Jesus, even that ranked sinner who's just unaware and has chosen a different life, as far as God is concerned, they too are in him. Question. Does Jesus need to die again every time somebody turns? The light comes on, they part the curtain, and they decide, you know, this is real, this is alive, God's good, I want to follow him. Does Jesus have to go back to the cross? All right. Let me ask you another question. If that's true, when are sins forgiven? When I'm standing in a service, I get convicted, I'm in shame and guilt, I go up in the church service, shake the preacher's hand, pray the prayer, and ask forgiveness. Is that when my sins are forgiven? Or were they forgiven when he died for all, therefore all have died. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. See, I'm talking about how God sees things and how God thinks. And so to our point, the first and more, most important thing in prayer, about prayer, is relationship. And that isn't based on something I do, it's based on something he has already done. Verse 18, and all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Could we get a little bit of that fan going, please? Who is that? Who, who's in charge of that? Let's let let's go here. Is that just me? No, it's a little warm, isn't it? That those should both Tim be on low cool, please? Would you? Verse 18, I just, it's like I have read and read and read. I went to Bible college and studied and studied. I have preached and preached and preached from this passage and never saw this revelation of God's character, his identity, and his love for me. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us that same ministry of reconciliation. See, that'll affect your prayer life. When you stop trying to change people, and you start considering your mission to inform people that they are already reconciled, that'll change the way you pray for people. See, all this has a plan. All this has a purpose. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was Reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Question. If God is not counting the world's trespasses against them, why are you keeping track? You know what you do when you keep track? You know what I do when I keep track of other people's sins? I label them. You want to know one of the labels I use? homosexual that's a label it's a label and of course the body of Christ is largely uncomfortable with that why because you're in judgment why are you in judgment because you regard men after the flesh why do you regard men after the flesh because you don't realize that Christ died for all and all have died why do you do that because you're not really baptized in the love of God See, it all goes back really to one thing and that's that Jesus loves me, this I know for the... I can't sing that high. (laughs) I started too high. And verse 20 calls us ambassadors. Isn't that incredible? He's making his appeal through us. So verse 21 says, for our sake, he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Here in Ephesians, one, the chapter where one of the greatest prayers ever recorded in the Bible is recorded. Paul prays it. Leading up to that prayer, watch his theology, starting in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You didn't have anything to do with this. God did this, and you didn't have anything to do with this. You didn't have any say in it. It's like the old covenant, where God put Abraham to sleep and cut a covenant with him. said, I don't, I don't want this based on anybody but me. <clears throat> to the praise of the glory of his grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. How? Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There's an interesting statement. In 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about how that he's reconciled us. Not counting our sins. And he doesn't say just church-going folks. Right? He, he doesn't, he's not referring to believers there in 2 Corinthians 5. He specifically uses the, the word world. Not counting the trust their trespasses against them. Right? Now here, Paul says this. Which he set forth in Christ, verse 10, as a plan For the fullness of time, this was his plan to unite all things in him on heaven and on earth. God is uniting everything on heaven or in heaven and on earth in him, and this is according to his will. It says, Now he says something very interesting in verse 4 that you were chosen by him for this relationship before the foundation of the world. Now, that's an interesting verse and an interesting word that he uses there. Because it's not the word foundation, which would be themelios, it's the word katabolo, which means to fall away. And so... Francois his mirror translation correctly translates this that we were associated in Christ before the fall of the world. Oh my goodness. When, when did you, in God's mind, in God's purpose and will, when did you actually begin your relationship? with the Father, and with Jesus. (laughs) From eternity past, before the fall of the world, God purposed that you would be in Christ. He uses the word predestined. Wow. Oh, my goodness. You mean God's not mad at me, Pastor Jeff? No, God's not mad at you. You mean God's not distant from me? No, God is not distant from you. For us to begin this glorious prayer, this template, this pray like this, we've got to understand something. The Father loves me, this I know, and he's close to me, and it doesn't depend on what I do. It depends on what he's already done. And he concluded in his will before the fall of the world that I should be in Christ and that Christ would give his life for me and that he would find me then placed in it. Could I say it this way? God found you in Christ before you were lost in Adam. One of the greatest theological problems that we face today in the church is that the majority of what we teach and practice is based on a story of a fall where sin entered the world and now we are full of sin, distant from God because of sin and God just wants to punish, punish, punish but Jesus, thankfully, came and stepped in the way of God's horrible wrath. And he's provided a way, but it only works for those who will confess. You know, they got to go through this routine and this program. They need to confess and repent and then receive. Oh, and then after you do all that, and you got to do that right and according to most churches there's a right order to it after you do all that then you've got to maintain it because if you don't maintain it you will certainly fall away, slip away and you may wind up right back in the same old place going to hell again our whole Christian story and therefore what we minister what, how we evangelize our ambassadorship is based on that premise that storyline and none of it is true Yes, there was a fall. (laughs) Yes, sin entered the earth. Yes, that sin affected all of creation and Adam and Eve and cut God's purposes for them short. But contrary to the way we preach it, the answer did not come some just 2,000 years ago when a man named Jesus hung on a cross the answer was put into play before the fall ever happened. Before the fall of the earth, before the fall of creation, Jesus was crucified as a lamb for all and all died and God put all of us there in him. And now when I pray, I pray from a place of righteousness. I pray from a place of acceptance. I pray from a place of already in Him. I pray from a place of intimacy. You see, when I got here to church, even though my feelings that I was wrestling with told me God was distant and I couldn't break through and He wasn't hearing me, none of that was fact. All of it was a lie because the truth was Nothing changed from the hour, from the day, from the year, from the time of eternity. I don't know when. Somehow, before the fall of the earth, before the fall of Adam and Eve, the Lamb was crucified. You know what? Jesus is God's mind made up about you. He always knew in his love that someday he would present you before himself again, purified, righteous, sanctified, and holy. He always knew that. And so the record of the Bible is certainly about fallen man and what happens to men who do not know their identity in God and who do not know their place in Christ and those who are outside of favor and blessing because they don't identify with it anymore. It certainly records all of that, but it is not the truth. Certainly the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, up till the book of Acts. Up till the book of Acts. It is not the truth. Of your identity, because before the foundation, before, excuse me, the fall of the earth, you were in Christ. Could I say it this way? If we're going to take this template of prayer called the Lord's Prayer and even get started with the first words, Our Father who art in heaven, we've got to start with identity of who we are in him, and believe that God and Jesus were both successful. That's where prayer starts. I already have a relationship. It's already meaningful and deep and precious and intimate. And oh, sin? I won't call his name, but if I did, all of you would know him. He's pastor of a very, very large megachurch. Travels the world. Has meetings in other places of the world with 100,000. He said recently on something I was listening to. Sin's not a big deal to God. He's already forgiven it in Christ. He's already destroyed its power in Christ. And he's already addressed its judgment. He put it on Christ. Now we know that that was accomplished in the heart and mind of God before the fall of the earth. (laughs) So even my life, I live it from a place of strength and identity, not from a place of trying to crawl my way back into the pleasure and presence of God. That's that's why our singing, that's why your song set, that's why your ministry and music must never present a God that we have to climb back into his presence. Climb back into his pleasure. We're there. I'm there. I start prayer there. Father, who art in heaven, and I'm right there with you. No distant. He's not mad. I'm there. Father, Abba Daddy.